uh, when I was just a wee boy. And uh, I can see it now. My mother saying to me, Roger, she was quite strict, quite stern. Roger, you do not go out until you've written two more thank you letters for your Christmas presents. Otherwise, you won't get any next year. Does that ring any bells with the older generation? Oh, how I wish I had Facebook and texts and emails then. Just one letter, bing, and it would have gone everywhere instead of having to write dozens of thank you letters. Last time in June, I talked about Moses crossing the Red Sea. Do you remember it? How God provided. God provided a complete answer at the right time, at the right place. So how do you think the children of Israel, having crossed the Red Sea, felt? It wasn't until the very last person crossed could they be absolutely sure that they were safe. And when the last person got across, what happened to the waves? They came back in and they buried the Egyptian army. The Bible says this, they saw the Egyptians struck down and realized the tremendous power that God has. The people were in reverent awe before God and trusted God and Moses. As you youngsters would probably say today, Awesome, man. Awesome. The question, I think, when I look back on Exodus 15, sorry, Exodus 16, is what makes us put our trust in God? I doubt if any of us will witness a Red Sea experience. But just look around us. Just look around and see beyond the sin and the troubles of this world and you will encounter a creator God who cannot be surpassed, not just in the big things, but the little things as well. Randy Alcorn's book on heaven says this, every day we should see God in his creation, in the food that we eat, the air that we breathe, the friendships we enjoy and the pleasures of family, work and pleasure. The world is full of praise prompters. I like that. And these praise prompters reassure us of God's presence and his desire for all of us to trust him in all things. Saying thank you. How did the children of Israel say thank you? God had delivered the people. They were all safe. Let's have a look. The next PowerPoint, please, Phil. There isn't time to read the whole of Exodus 15, but I've just brought out one or two things in that passage. When the children of Israel, having got to the other side, wanted to say thank you to God, wanted to say thank you. And this is their song. What a tremendous song it is. I'm singing my heart out to God. What a victory. We've got through the Red Sea. God is my strength. God is my song. And yes, God is my salvation. Is this the sort of song you can sing? This is the kind of God I have, and I'm telling the world. I'm spreading the news far and wide. God is a fighter. And it goes on. 
When other people heard what had happened, they were scared. Philistines trembled. Headmen in Eden were shaken. Everybody in Canaan panicked and felt faint because of God's power. And not to be outdone, Miriam, they're told, took a tambourine and all the women followed her with the tambourines dancing and singing and saying thank you to God for what he'd done. When was the last time you said thank you to God? We take so many things for granted, don't we? Do you wait for that miraculous happening? Or can you thank God for the small things as well? Can you give thanks for all things and in all situations? Sadly, I think one of the ways of saying thank you that slaps, and I'm just as guilty, is saying grace. We're now in a situation where a meal comes and the laptops are there, the iPhones are there, the iPads are there. How many of us now actually sit down before a meal and give God thanks? It's a tradition, I know, but there's certainly one way of saying thank you to God each day for his provision. So this morning, why don't we just say thank you and let's sing thank you Jesus for what he's done for us please be seated in Exodus 15 we read about the children of Israel saying thank you but it's not long before they started to grumble And we'll come to that in a minute. We are a nation of grumblers. Are you aware of that? What do you think the top ten most grumbles are? Let's have a look. What's number ten? Thanks, Phil. Doctors. 1,000 people were asked what they grumbled about most. And of those 1,000 people, tenth was doctors. So for those in the medical profession, I am so sorry. (laughs) Nikki's not here, so I can't thank Nikki. But uh, I've got no complaint about doctors at all. But then it does help having a daughter as a practice nurse in the surgery, doesn't it? You know, I don't have to wait weeks for an appointment. I can get one within... Music, yes. <laughs> Done it now. Music, I remember my mum and dad. The Beatles, that sounds rubbish. Rolling Stones, oh, you call that music? And now, what do I say about my grandchildren's choice of music? You call that music? So music is number nine. And the fact that It seems to me today that you can't go anywhere, do anything without music. I remember, um, oh, about 25 years ago, one of the privileges of uh, my work is after 12 months, I was allowed a radio in the car. I thought my birthday should come at once. A radio and a heater in my car. Wonderful. Right, the next one. Children. Oh, I don't know why this is on the list. 
I don't know whether they're a nuisance or not. Do we grumble about our children? Maybe we do occasionally. Maybe other people do. Maybe it's because our children haven't quite got the respect for grown-ups that they used to. And the poor old banks, bank managers. Do we feel sorry for them? No. For all I can say is I'm very grateful I've got somewhere to put my million pound. Right, next one. Ah, public transport. Yes, we all have a grumble about uh, public transport. You know, no buses and three come along. Um, But uh, I wonder what we would think about public transport if we were somewhere in uh, Africa where a bicycle would take us to the nearest village four hours away. And TV programmes, yeah, yeah. Do we grumble about TV programmes? Yeah. Have you got the strength to turn it off, though? No. We sit there and watch it and say, oh, this is a terrible programme, but we just haven't got the energy to turn it off, have we? Right, next one. Schools and pubs. Well, I'm not quite certain why this is so, because I'm I'm not speaking of experience here, but I guess people say pubs because the old traditional pub is now gone, and uh, the complaint is that it's now just bistro, bistro after bistro. But uh, I wouldn't know about that. And schools, yeah, we grumble about schools, but quite honestly, what a privilege it is to be able to go to school. Give a thought to that. What a privilege it is to be able to learn. Before we move on to the next slide, do any of you know what the next top two might be? Wife and weather. Right, okay, let's have a look. Because you'll be surprised. Weather, yes. It's never too hot, never too cold, or it's always raining or nothing like that, is it? But they're going with the weather. How would we cope with going for two years without any rain? as many places in Africa. Now, is it interesting? Manners and politeness was the biggest grumble. We seem to have lost our politeness. I went to give um, blood uh, the other day, and this young doctor called me and he said, Hello, mate. Mate? I'm your patient. I've got a name. You know, I just couldn't believe it. Mate now is a common name. And, uh, yeah, there's the opening of the doors. That politeness has gone. <coughs> and, of course, there's a, a new expression now, isn't there? How many of you have said to your partner, oh, for goodness sake, stop being a victim, Aldrew. I don't know if any of you listen to uh, Radio 5 uh, on an afternoon. I used to listen to it on the way home. Richard Bacon had an afternoon program on Radio 5 uh, on a Thursday afternoon. It was called Moan and Grumble of the Week. And people phoned in with their groan or mumble. And they were marked to see who was the best moaner for the week. Supermarket queues. That was the biggest one. Or supermarket trolleys that always go the wrong way when you don't want to. And I thought, we're lucky to have a supermarket. And as I said, banks got a right old beating. 
and the weather is always near the top of our grumbles. I wonder if we took the weather out of our conversations, how much we would talk. How many of us grumbled that we had to get up this morning? How many of us grumbled that we would have preferred to stay in bed? The new trend in grumbling, though, was um, showed me by my granddaughter, and she's not here. She went over to the caravan at Anglesey. Lovely spot, beautiful spot. But the biggest grumble? No Wi-Fi. I couldn't get Facebook. I don't want to go back there again until you get Facebook for me. Well, there we go. Back to the Bible. The people, the children of Israel, crossed the Red Sea. They gave thanks. But it didn't take long before they started to complain and grumble. Let me read you part of the story, and I'm going to read from the book of God. Next, Israel encamped in a large oasis where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palms. They were glad for the abundance and begged Moses to stay here. But he led the people towards the wilderness of sin. It was now a month and a half since they'd left Egypt and entered the desert. They scarcely knew how to survive apart from civilization. They'd never forested in the dried land. They hadn't learned to hunt, to live in skins, to patch old tents, to walk the day long carrying all their possessions and all the provisions wherever they went. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had been nomads. So had the twelve fathers of the twelve tribes of Israel. But this vast and mighty company, their descendants knew a better life, houses and gardens and ready food. Moses, they said, where are you taking us? Fierce-eyed Moses didn't answer. He kept walking forward through the blistering desert, swinging his long rod, his wild hair like thunderclouds. Moses, they yelled, we wish we'd died in Egypt, where we sat by the flesh pots and ate bread till we were full. But here, you will kill us all with hunger. Finally, Moses stopped and spoke to the people. Who am I? that you should blame me. Your grumbling is not against me, but against the Lord. Then Moses said, but the Lord has heard you. And to show you that it is he who brought you out of Egypt at twilight, he will give you flesh, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Even while he was speaking, the people saw across the wilderness the glory of the Lord. A great black cloud was rushing toward them. When it approached the camp, they saw that the cloud was full of quails, a huge migration of them, flying very, very low for sheer weariness. In the morning, another wonder appeared, a gentle thing, a snow from heaven. There had fallen on the face of the wilderness a fine, white, flake-like substance, Sweet as coriander, something that tasted like wafers made from honey. The children of Israel went out and gazed at wilderness of white, whispering, What? What? Which in their tongue sounded like the single word, Man? Man? What is it they said? Manna, they said. And Moses said, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. 
He will send it as long as you need it, even until we are done with our wanderings. Gather it, every man among you. Gather one omer for each member of your family. No more, no less, than eat it all that same day. Trust the Lord. He will send you more in the morning. According to the word of God, it was just 15 days into the second month. Less than seven weeks since God had blessed them, taken them through the Red Sea, that they started to complain. They sang this song of thanksgiving, but in seven weeks' time, they started to complain. And the Bible in the NIV says, the whole company, the whole company complained. You would have thought that at least one or two or even half a dozen might have stood and backed Moses. But no. They got swept along with the crowd. It doesn't take one small grumble in our church to affect the whole company. We face many a situation, both here and at work and at home, where occasionally we have to stand up and not grumble. Not to join in with the masses. Thank goodness we don't have the union strikes of the 60s and 70s where one strong union leader grumbled and within days the whole union were out on strike. Nobody seemed able to stand up and be counted. And what did the children of Israel complain about? What was that grumbling? A statement that must have crushed God's heart. After all he had done, they said, why didn't God let us die in Egypt? We had lamb stew there. We had bread. All the bread we could eat. Had they forgotten so soon the terrible suffering that they went through and their plea to God to free them? But now they're all forgotten it. But God heard their complaints. He heard their complaints yet again and told Moses he would be the provider. He would provide another miracle. He would provide manna from heaven. And as we read in the morning when the dew evaporated, this white substance covered the ground like a white coriander seed and tasted like a wafer with honey. It's a bit like a coriander seed. And of course, this is where sometimes that expression, manna from heaven, comes down. But so often we see that in the wrong context, didn't we? I've seen lottery winners who, with their big checks, say, this is manna from heaven. Is that really what God intended? And this manna appeared for six days, and on the sixth day, double quantities were sent down. Another reminder that we will respect the Sabbath and not to work. We've moved a long way 
from what God intended into our 24-7 consumerism world. And you know, even though God promised to supply all that they needed, there were some who still ignored Moses' instructions. And they thought they knew better. So they saved some for the next morning. And what happened in the next morning? It was all moldy. For Moses was cross with them for their disobedience. Verse 19 in that chapter says, Then Moses said to no one is to keep any of it till the morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses and kept part of it back to the morning, but it became full of maggots and began to smell. For me, there are two very simple lessons to learn from this chapter. Don't disobey God and think you know best. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 says, Be careful to follow every command I give you so that you may live and possess the land I promised you on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert those 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you will keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I don't know how many of you young people think us parents are all fuddy-duddies. I thought my parents were all fuddy-duddies. My children thought I was an old fuddy-duddy. But there is a saying, you know, that we do know best. You may not think so at the time, but we do. And with God, our Heavenly Father, as we seek his purpose, he knows best. Can you just put the next PowerPoint up, Phil, please? The other simple lesson is that God provides all that we need and all that we want. One of the names of God is Yahweh Yara. It's a Hebrew word which means the Lord will provide. God sees the future, so he is able to provide. And very fitting as we look for a new minister, God will provide. God sees the future. So that word future is made up of two Latin words. Anybody study Latin? I didn't, I didn't understand it. Here's an example of what provision means. It means to see beforehand. So when we pray to Yahweh Yara, we are praying to a God who sees the situation beforehand and is able to supply our needs. Remember that God provided the ram for Abraham when it was needed most. So, after 40 years, the children did find the promised land. And we read in Joshua that there's no more manna and no more quails. Just think, if you'd been born in the wilderness, you wouldn't have known anything else but quail and manna. What's for dinner, Mum? Oh, manna and quail. You could have written a recipe book. 100 recipes with manna and quail. Provision, God's provision and bread is an occurring theme throughout the Bible. 
And it seems that every time Jesus took responsibility for catering arrangements, food and drink were provided in massive quantities. Take the time 5,000 men plus women and children were fed. Twelve baskets left over. He didn't just turn the water into half a dozen bottles of wine. He turned it into 120 gallons of wine. Why is everything so supersized? Surely these are the signs of God's generosity in the face of our emptiness and comparative poverty. Paul writes in Corinthians about reaching out and experiencing the breadth, testing the length, plumbing the depths, and rising to the height of his love and provision. Then we have the Lord's Prayer. Give us today our daily bread. This is more than just a request for food. This is a request and desire to trust God to supply all our physical needs, spiritual needs, and emotional needs. Then in John, we read about Jesus being the bread of life. Show us, Jesus, what you can do, said John. Moses fed our ancestors with bread in the desert, and Jesus responded this way. The real significance of that scripture is not that Moses gave you bread from heaven, but that my Father is right now offering you bread from heaven, the real bread. The bread of God came down out of heaven and is giving life to this world. I am the bread of life. In a few moments, we shall have partaking our communion. Manna from heaven as a remembrance of what God has done for us. Well, back to Mr. Grumble. Is there ever a right time for us to grumble? How are you today? Oh, not so well, but I mustn't grumble. It's been said many times in this church. Why not? I think there are legitimate reasons and times when it is allowed to be grumbling. If we're in constant pain, if we're anxious, then yes. Because our Father is human. He knows all about us. He understands us. What I don't think God can really cope with is when we grumble about silly things. When we grumble about those supermarket queues. When we grumble about having to wait half an hour in a doctor's surgery. Is that really worth grumbling about in compared with what God has provided for us? In a moment I want to pray for those who genuinely have something to grumble about. And you only have to turn on the television to realise there are many. I don't know whether any of you saw the programme on BBC Two a few weeks ago called The Children of Syria. It was a six-month filming document, document of six young children. Three who were for, three against. And how their lives have been turned upside down how they began to hate each other because their fathers hated each other and their grandfathers hated each other. These children had seen their friends shot dead in front of their eyes. 
their schools burnt down, their homes destroyed, their parents captured and disappeared, never knowing when they would see their parents again. And there have been many programs like that. The program touched me as never before. Part of me is so angry that man could do this to man and the children suffer. The lives of our future generations are being destroyed even before they reach adulthood. I wanted every world leader to watch that program and find peace. Then I struggled even more because I didn't know what I could do. My prayers seemed so inadequate. But one thing I vowed there and then, I would never grumble about anything again. Let's pray. Father God, as we've quickly skirted over your word this morning, we first of all recognize the need to say thank you. We take so much for granted. But when it comes to the difficult times, it's so easy for us to be drawn into grumbling and moaning and complaining. Lord, will you help us to say thank you for what you have provided for us. But Lord, we are aware, even within our own fellowship, those who are in constant pain, uncertain of the future, lonely, and occasionally have every right to complain and grumble. But thank you, Father God, that you are such an almighty God that you know and love that situation, and you will be with those people. But Lord, we only have to turn on our televisions and we can see again the right for some people to grumble that through the warring of and the greed and the sin of men, thousands of people have had to leave their homes, the things that you have provided for them. They've left their possessions. They've left loved ones, they've seen loved ones die. Lord, creator God of this whole world, will you come and bring peace? And will you enable us in our own small way to stand up, to stand out and say, thank you. I've got nothing to grumble about because you have provided all that I need. Not all that I want, but all that I need. And I need to say, thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's stand and sing before we come.